Welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth podcast. This podcast is about sharing strategies and ideas to help business owners build, protect, and transition their businesses for the future while creating more balance in their life. Your host is Thomas J. Perone, CLUCIC, and president of the New England Consulting Group of Guilford Incorporated, consulting business owners for over 50 years. Welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth. Hi, I'm Tom Perone, and I'm your host. And this podcast is all about learning strategies to build your business, to create greater profit, but to create also an abundance of leisure time so you can enjoy what you're building. Today, we have a wonderful guest, and I would like to introduce to you Dr. Bridget Cooper, Joe Perone. Carl Fix, welcome to the program. Thanks for ten- spending the time today. Thanks for having us. You're quite welcome. Thank you, Tom, for having us. You're welcome. And today we want to focus on wellness um, in the workplace, spirit, mind, and body. And I've invited three experts and consultants in that area to join us for this video. And I'd like to start off with Dr. Bridget Cooper. Welcome, doctor. Thank you, Tom, for having me. It's an exciting time to be here. So well, I, I would would you kind of tell us a little bit about your practice, Bridget? Absolutely. I help individuals and organizations be better uh, people so they can be better leaders. Thank you. And when I, in your practice, I know a little bit about it, but let me ask you this. What does wellness mean to you? Wellness means, you know, when we fly on airplanes, remember when we used to do that more, um, you know, the flight attendant would tell us that in order, if there's an emergency, we need to put our own oxygen masks on first. And I think as business owners, as family members, as partners and friends, oftentimes we forget to do that. So to me, wellness means looking at our, taking stock of our own spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, financial health, and assessing how we can put our own oxygen masks on first so that we can be here to provide for ourselves, our businesses, and those that we care about. And Joe, um, you know, when you talk about time freedom, I've asked Joe to come on and uh, Joe's a time freedom expert. And Joe, tell us a little bit about your practice. Again, thanks for having me on, Tom. I help business owners reclaim time that's lost the unessential activities that they do every single day and they're completely unaware of. Um, A lot of the times we hear, I don't have the time, I don't have energy, I don't have Um, the resources that I need to do what I need to do in my business and grow. And it's really important to me to help business owners reclaim their time freedom so they could do more of the things that they love to do. So when you talk about time freedom um, and living a good life that matters to you, tell me how you find someone their time to find the wellness they need in their busy schedule. Well, it really focuses on getting clear on what it is they want. Everyone's different. You know, time time freedom for individuals could mean more time with their family. It could be more time working on their business versus in their business. It could be spending more time focusing on their wellness, which is why we're all here today. So it totally depends on the person that's across the table from us getting clear on what it is 
that they truly want to do with their time. And time freedom is a consideration. Uh, Carl, you had mentioned a lot of the biggest problems sometimes with helping people is they complain about not having the time. And in Joe's practice, he helps them find it. And uh, Carl, uh, welcome to the program. Can you tell us a little bit about your practice? Sure. And uh, thanks again, Tom, for having us on. I'm excited to be here with Joe and Bridget. Uh, my, my business, No Surrender, I help busy professionals and their teams get back in the fitness game so they can be uh, less stressed and a whole lot more productive. And uh, I love what Bridget said about uh, her idea of wellness. Uh, I agree with that. And I would add this. Um, we are in service to others. And in order to be in service, you have to be. Uh, you have to be vertical. You have to be alive in order for you to honor your agreements uh, and to keep your word. So, um, again, to be in service, we must first be. And uh, that's where I, I think the wellness fitness component comes in. Well, you you were you are a retired attorney and uh, attorney's life and schedule is as hectic as anybody else. So. You obviously learned how to find time during that schedule because you've been in shape for many years. Yes, I practiced law for a little over 30 years. And uh, in all candor, the first four or five years of my practice, uh, I was a young guy uh, pushing the limits and not paying attention to what was going on. And I realized that was not sustainable. So I had to get back in the game. I wanted to get back in the fitness game. And I did that. And that allowed me to to practice for a very long time in a very bruising profession. Not that that's unique to the law. There are uh, all kinds of uh, professions and jobs that take a lot of energy. Uh, and I think the, the common denominator of these things is uh, the fitness component to be able to put in the hours and handle the stressors that come your way in addition to living this thing called life outside of the workplace. Bridget, we talk about anxiety um, and people having to alleviate that. How do you help people eliminate or alleviate the stress and the anxiety they have in life? Yeah, I think it's about not eliminating it because we are wired to have fear and fear helps us. It makes us notice when things are out of sorts or out of balance. It's really about respecting that anxiety and using it as a tool. So what I tell people is that anxiety is simply, it's fear, it's fear-based. And fear comes from wanting to control things that you cannot control in this moment because it is in the future. Fear is always based in something coming, something happening, something being out of our control in the future. So the key to that is really presence. It's about being in this moment right now, taking the power that this moment offers. And we've been talking as a, as a community of business owners and as people in the world about meditation, about you know, mindfulness. It's really, it's, it's deeper than that. It's about actually being in the moment that you're in to be able to give your full power, your full presence, your all of your gifts, all of your talents to this moment to be able to plan for whatever that anxiety might be bringing up for you, but planning it in the future, in the present, not living in the future. 
Well, you know, a fear has no value at all. It doesn't have a solution. It doesn't do anything good for the situation. It's really wasted energy. So let's just take this anxiety portion because I, what steps, uh, g- give us an exercise that if I said to you, Dr. Cooper, I have this anxiety, I can't get rid of that self-talk. It's really getting to me. What are the things that you would tell me to do? The first thing I would tell you to do is to tell me what is the, I, I'll, I'll tell you a story first. I had a coaching client one time and he called me, he was going to expand his practice, open a second office. And he said, I'm, I'm really afraid I'm, I'm, you know, paralyzed with anxiety. What if it fails? And I said, it might. And he said, you're the worst coach ever. I said, actually <laughs> hear me out. Okay. Because if it could happen, right? Things, bad things do happen. Business ventures do fail. So tell me two things. One, what would you do if it happened? Like, what would be your, what's like the worst possible thing that you think would happen? And what would you do if it happened? So if you, your business fails and you go bankrupt, whose couch can you sleep on, right? Like what's your plan in that worst case scenario? And then tell me what are the steps you're going to take to prevent that outcome? So as you said, fear has, it's it's worthless without a plan. So if you are fearful that something's going to happen, imagine that worst beast that you would confront. And then how are you going to address it when you get there? And how are you going to make it smaller or prevent it from happening in the first place? That's the only useful thing to do with anxiety and fear. Right. Fear, it's that Susan Jeffers book, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyways type of thing. Mm -hmm. And you have to look at fear. The The only redeeming quality that I see in fear, it makes you step out of the box and find a solution to get rid of it. Yeah, it's a signal that something could be happening and you might be in trouble. And the only thing that you can do to stay in your power is to decide how you're going to address it, reduce it or prevent it. You know, Joe, you had uh, you have an interesting story about how you got to this point. And and for those viewers, I'll just uh, Joe runs two businesses that are extremely successful on about 40 hours a month. He's he really is the time expert. But this wasn't always the case, was it? No, it wasn't always the case. And it was running around every day, being everything to everyone, thinking that I had to touch everything in my business. And I, you know, I, to, to Dr. Bridget's point, I had that fear of loss of control. That was my fear. And that was my anxiety that I had. And if I lost control, what would happen? And, you know, the fear of my business falling apart uh, led me to burnout and, and experiencing extreme burnout back in 2014, and in the middle of a workday, just collapsed from a, you know a, an anxiety attack, which I didn't realize, and again <clears throat> wasn't taking the time to put my own air mask on first, and got sent to the emergency room, and it was a, a severe wake up call for me that all this fear, all this anxiety, all this running around, all this stuff that I was doing was not serving me. So, you know, that led me on the path to deciding that I needed to focus on what was currently working for me, 
what wasn't working for me. I knew fear wasn't working for me. I knew anxiety wasn't working for me. I knew that I wasn't taking care of my own body. I know that, you know, I had been in my first year of marriage with a son on the way. And I said to myself, is this the type of father I'm going to be? Is this the type of example I'm going to set for my children and, and be the leader of, of my family? And, you know, it really led me to a lot of soul searching and, and work that I knew that I needed to do. Well, you know, it, it, it comes also back to being in healthy. Because, uh, like Carl, you must see this all the time where people call you about their concern about their health because they haven't done much. They're trying to find time. They're probably not in the best mental um, condition when you meet them if they're feeling the guilt of being out of shape for so many years. So how do you deal with that? How do you get them to start thinking more positive that you can get it done when they've been suppressed in their own head? for years because they've been out of shape, overweight, whatever? Well, uh, that's a great question. And I'll, I'll illustrate it with a with a quick anecdote. So a friend of mine, um, uh, I lost a partner and friend at work in March, and it was a, a big deal. So I texted another friend of mine and I said, if you haven't been to a cardiologist, go now. And that's actually something I've been doing. I'm 58 years old. I've been going to a cardiologist preemptively since 2007. So almost for the last 15 years. And it's it's just one of my wellness practices. I, I get stress tests once a year. Highly recommend it. So he, my friend responded and said, I just went to the cardiologist. Now he's a young guy. He's 44. And he said, my cardiologist wants me to lose 40 pounds by the time I turn uh, 45, which is in a year. So I responded. I said, that's easy. We can do this together. And he responded, how? I said, 40 pounds in 12 months is what? A little over 30 pounds uh, or excuse me, uh, three pounds a month. And I said, three pounds a month over four weeks. So I break it down for him. And I said, we, we can do this together. And when you break it down, it, it gets much easier. Um, I highlight this in my program. There was a gentleman uh, quote in runner's world where he was a two and a half pack smoker per day. And every time he wanted to smoke, he decided to run to his mailbox. And he started, he said the first time he did that, he wanted to throw up. He was huffing and puffing. Then it was to the pole down the street, then to the park down the street. Next thing you know, this guy's beaten the smoking and he becomes an ultra marathon runner. Uh, and he said, quote, slow as I go, I'm still faster than my sofa. So this guy started really small. So the first thing I would say is just start small. Uh, you can, you can do it. And, and the, to pull on the time thread, actually to pull on the control thread back to what Dr. Bridget said, if you take a trial lawyer, which is what I did, there are so many things that are out of, out of our control. There's the facts of the case, the law of the case, the judge assigned to the case, your adversary, your opposing party, many times your jury. These are things out of your control. Sometimes your client is out of your control. The one thing you can control to be able to handle this more resiliently is your own fitness or wellness. You can control that. You are the master of that ship. So you've got all of these things that are out of your control. 
you can control your, your fitness to be able to deal with these other things. And I think that's tamps down the fear. Uh, and then another thing with the fear is I, I would tell somebody you're not alone. You're not the first person who is not in shape and wants to get back in shape. So it's been there, done that thing. When I started to climb out of the hole I dug for myself, I could not run two miles. Now, I was very athletic as a kid, high school sports, college sports. I worked out in law school, and then it all went to hell. So when I got back or tried, started to get back, I couldn't run two miles. So start small, and you'll be able to do it, and you are not alone. And I think, I think that if you know you're not alone, I think some of that fear goes away. So that's how I would approach that question. Dr. B. Asked of somebody. Yeah, thanks, Carl. No, that that's that, you lead me to Dr. B on a question. And that's the question of you still have to get through your head that things are possible to change. Absolutely. That's a hard. That's a hard it's easier to do something physical than to change your whole mindset when for years you've been negative about it. So how do you how do you treat people who are coming in and saying, I've had this problem for years and here's the problem? How do you get them through that? Is that a long process or? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that I talk about in Pain Rebel, um, which is my latest uh, book, is I talk about contracts, is this idea that we have come to a set of beliefs about who we are, what our potential is, what who other people are, kind of what our life story is. And we came to those stories, those agreements, those contracts very early on before we even had a, a voice or a knowledge that we were doing that. And as you know, anyone on, on the call, Carl, you know, being a lawyer, you can't enter a contract if you don't have the, the capacity to enter into that contract, you have to have some state of mind that allows you to do that. With You have all the technical terms, Carl, but you have to be able to have that agency. We didn't have that agency when we were young and we started to believe these things. So we go through life with those unchecked contracts operating in the background, kind of like a, a Microsoft Office system with more glitches than that. And then we're entering into new relationships and experiences and challenges with all this stuff behind us that filters out the possibilities that are in front of us. So for me, what I when I sit with a client, I'm looking for what those contracts are. I'm bringing them into the the conscious you know realm, and then examining them and asking them. So if you have this contract do you actually need to abide by that contract anymore? Or do you want to throw that out and replace it with a contract that you would actually want to have in your life that would actually operate better? It would have fewer of these glitches and system shutdowns. And it's really as simple as that. People think, oh, I have these beliefs. I have these experiences. I can't, I can't throw them away. When you make them a tangible thing like a contract, we've all ripped up contracts. We've all said, nope, yep, that's not an agreement I'm going to abide by anymore. I'm not going to do that thing anymore. It makes it a lot easier to tackle. Well, you know, that's I, I understand that. And what, um, Joe, you have in your, what do you call the your five keys to five time? Five keys to time freedom. That's exactly what you do in that exercise that Dr. B just talked about. Tell us about that, the five keys. Well, to, to Dr. Bridge's exact point is those stories that we're telling ourselves that aren't serving us anymore, 
when we're when we're telling ourselves in that program, as you said, was is going over and over and over. One of those stories is that we don't have any time. And when I first got into working on myself and, and digging in deeper, that was my excuse. I didn't have time. But I had time to to watch a baseball game for four hours. I had time to go to the bar with my buddies and drink, right? I had time to piss away at the shop that I wasn't doing anything productive. That was just, those are, that was the program I was running. And what I like to teach my clients now is, you know, and, and especially in the five keys is going through and just doing a time audit. It's simple. You go through 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Okay, what are you doing? What are those things that you've programmed yourself to do on a, on a weekly basis? And we work on these things and we ask questions about these things. I had a, a, a client I was working with. She was on a school board. She said, this school board is draining every ounce of energy that I have in me. It turned into a, a, you know, fighting and emails and calls. And, you know, it takes about eight hours of my week between the actual work I have to do for it, the emails that I get from other members talking about other members and the phone calls that I get talking about the other people on the board and nonsense. And I said, why did you get into this? You know, what, what made you get on this board originally? And she said, well, my daughter went to the school and I wanted to be connected with the school. I want to know what was going on in the school. And I, and once in a while, I got to actually have lunch with my daughter at school. So that was some, that was time with my daughter. So that was cool. And I said, well, you know, this matters to you. This obviously matters to you. And I said, what still matters about this to you? What still matters about being on this board? And she paused and she said, you know, my daughter hasn't gone to this school in two years. I don't know. It was a program she was just running subconsciously that she didn't even know she was running. So she quit the, she quit the board graciously and she freed up eight hours of her week. And now her daughter is in college. She actually took some of that time to go visit her daughter at college. <laughs> so a new program is running. Isn't it so true that you're your own worst enemy? Because when you listen to yourself, it's skewed to you. But when an outside voice comes in and says, you're looking at it all wrong from my point of view, you know, that's it's that's how you change your mindset. Um yeah, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because it's like cutting the ham. Why are you cutting the end of the ham? Well, my aunt did and my grandmother did. That's why I do it that way, right? Carl, you have an interesting story. Um, and tell us when and why you left being an attorney, a very, very successful career as an attorney. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Sure. Uh, this may sound pithy, but when I graduated from law school I, in 1988, I said to myself, I would, and I professed to practice law so long as I enjoyed it. And that's exactly what I did. And I did a pivot in May of this year. I just simply walked away and I walked away for a number of reasons. Um, you have to be all in on the practice and you can't half-ass it. 
And I was getting close to not being all in. And that was problematic to me. It concerned me that it would be disingenuous to my colleagues, my clients, my family. Uh, you can't cheat the practice. We all knew in the business who uh, we'd call them the fringe lawyers. They were just nibbling on the fringes. And that's not the way that I practiced. Back to the stress test. I remember once I did a stress test, the numbers were good. And my cardiologist said, well, Carl, you can't cheat a stress test. You can't. The numbers don't lie. Uh, and I, you can't cheat the practice. And again, I wasn't there, but I was having these thoughts like, this is not good. So I'm very, very passionate about this wellness and fitness and the common denominator. And I thought, I've always been living a life of service. I thought if I could be in service to other professionals to help them embed this in their weekly routines, then that would be very, very meaningful to me. Uh, the practice of law was very rewarding. It's a noble profession. I wouldn't dissuade anyone from doing it. My daughter, in fact, will start law school in a year. I've never once said that's a bad idea. Kudos to her. It was a great degree, great education. Um, so I just thought, what is what am I very passionate about and where can I direct my passions and energies? And that's what I decided to do. Um, and if I could just just pull the time thread for, for a minute. Everybody says they don't have time to work out or whatever. Everybody seems to find time to go to Starbucks. And unless you have the Starbucks app, you're waiting in line in Starbucks for 20 plus minutes. Right. Now, it is paradoxical to me that you would have 20 minutes uh, as part of your routine to stand in line to wait for your whatever, your grande latte, whatever, but not 20 minutes to work out. And there are plenty of 20 minute workouts that don't involve the Peloton and other fancy equipment. And I'll give you one of them. If you have a high school track in your town, go there. One loop is 400 meters. It's a quarter mile. Walk the loop, then run the loop. Walk the loop, then run the loop. Set your watch for 20 minutes, done. That is a great 20 minute workout that you don't need equipment and is better than standing in line at a coffee shop. And here's how to kick it up a notch is meet a friend, have an accountability component built into that. And oh, by the way, schedule it like everything else, because self-care and selfishness, you need to distinguish between the two. Self-care is not being selfish. It's taking care of yourself again, so you can be in service to others. Selfishness is, uh, you know, a friend on the street here, his wife had a baby and he went to Italy for a week because it was stressful. Well, I'm sure his wife thought the, the, the actual birthing process was stressful, but she didn't go to Italy. So that might be an example of selfishness. 20 minutes at the track, the local track, I don't think is selfish. That's just a, a self-care component. I mean, you bring up a good point because, you know, your family uh, is expecting you to be around, to be there. Um, and, and if you're not taking care of yourself, why would you expect to be there down the road? If you're not doing exactly that, you owe that to the loved ones, the people you love the most. You know, what's interesting about the three of you is that you each have a story of passion of why you are sitting in front of the camera. And Dr. B, I saved your story for now, because it leads me right into that passion. 
Carl's got a passion for fitness. Joseph has had an experience to get him to where he is. Now, I'd like to hear your story because you share with us having suffered a traumatic brain injury and where that journey has led you. Please share that with us. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I think that there's uh, there are a lot of stories, right? We all have lots and lots of stories and there are lots of pivot points if we if we look at the opportunities that life has given us, especially when things go wrong. Usually when things go right, sure, that's a great thing. When things go wrong, that's when we have to figure out how, how to pull our resources together and, and find a new path. Three, a little over three years ago, I was riding in a car home after celebrating a trip that I'd made with my girls, not to Italy, um, but to uh, to Ireland. <laughs> By the way, I think that wouldn't be called selfishness on his part. I think that's self sabotage. But we can we'll go back to that another time. <laughs> that's right. So I, you know, I just come back from uh, Ireland with my daughters, and I was out celebrating that trip and sharing some photos of the event and. Um, a uh, Uber driver came uh, barreling through a four-way intersection and slammed into the car that I was a passenger in and flipped us um, in short order. And the impact of that crash left me with a traumatic brain injury, which makes each of my days, you asked before we got on this call, how, what's your stopping point? When do you have to stop? And I thought right now, I have to stop right now <laughs> because being on this call, being under these lights, looking at the camera is exhausting for me. Like I have a searing headache. I'm constantly nauseous. You might notice that I'm chewing gum um, because I'm always nauseous and the mint taste takes away some of that sensation for me. Um, and so, you know, I dropped 25 IQ points um, and I, it's just, there's a lot of physiological and mental challenges now with trying to live post brain injury. And so for me, you know, looking at my business, looking at the way that I serve, you know, business owners and, and executives and employees and just humans is I have to recognize that my bandwidth used to be unfettered. Like, you know, add another thing, I'll find another minute, add another responsibility, I'll, I'll lean right into it. I could get more done in before nine o'clock in the morning than most people could get done all day. I am just like, I was like this. And now I'm much more of a snail or a turtle pace, you know? And so I have to respect that my bandwidth has now compressed in a way that makes me really focused on my own wellness, on how much rest I need in between things. How do I take care of myself? How am I, you know, able to do the things I have to do so that I might have a moment to do the things that I want to do? And it's made me super focused on priorities. And again, to pull on that time thread, as, as Carl said, we have these threads through all of our conversations. You have to, when you talk about time, you don't ask people what they value. You just look at how they spend their time and their money. That's what we have. We have time, we have money. How are we spending those things? That is demonstrating what we value. So for me, I had to take a real hard look at the inventory of the things that I was using my time and money for and, and really compress them, really, you know, laser focus those things because I just didn't have an abundance of time anymore. And it's interesting because now you're so focused, you can identify in that area of focus 
probably much more than you ever did before. Because you, when you're doing all these things, I mean, my wife and I banter with the fact that she'll say men can't multitask. And I know we can't, but I'll tell her we can. But when I try to multitask, it's it's just so the focus. And you know what? Yes, you've turned that situation into a real positive for you, mm-hmm. but also your clients, because sure. you, you could speak from that you know, that, that focus point. Um, it's yeah. Amazing. And I have a lot, I have a much deeper um, sense of appreciation for people who have chronic illness and chronic illness is a major epidemic in our country, in our world. And I never understood what chronic illness looked like until I experienced it. And so I think that's, that's given me another insight into people and kind of what they may be struggling with on a daily basis and how it might be harder for them to bring their full force, uh, you know, of their humanity to the table, because I know how hard it is for me. So I can use those, those tools and resources to help others. Well, just for the record, you might not feel well doing this, but you (laughs) better than we do. So that's. (laughs) Thanks. um, Thanks. Joseph, I want to I want to come back to wellness, um, being a giver and and wellness, those two things. Well, like Bridget just said, you want to see what you value. What are you spending your time and your money on? So, when we talk about giving and and time freedom, it's we don't have to, we, you know, we think in terms of, of money and resources when we think of giving. We can give people time and attention and focus. It's one of the greatest gifts that we can give another human being is our attention and focus. We live in a, a three or four second world. You know, you got you to gotta hook somebody. You got to get their attention, right? And when you sit down with somebody and you can actually be present with them, and not listening to them just so you could reply and listening so you can interject and have an opinion, but listening to so you can understand their point of view. It's one of the greatest gifts that we can give. And as we're giving, you know, it's like planting, it's, it's planting a seed. I love, I love all of the farming and agricultural aspects of, of all of this. So if you want tomatoes, you don't plant pumpkin seeds. That's an old Jim Rohn. That's, sure that goes back to the, you know, 5,000 BC, right? But it's so true. All these things are simple and they're easy to understand, but they're true and much harder, much difficult to put into daily practice. So if you want attention and focus, if you want people to pay attention to what you're saying, if you want people to listen to your ideas and, and grow your business and, and extend your reach, Right? You're not going to grow a company by yourself. If you want time freedom, you need people. You need to invest in other people. And the way that you invest in other people to get them to help you with your dream is, what are they dreaming about? What are the things that they like to do? I know in my company, to, to access my own time freedom, I had to find out what it is that my employees, what do they like to do? What are their favorite things to do? So I don't have the guy that loves painting cars and the guy that loves working on the cars. He could, he gets in flow. Time elapses for him. He gets in at eight o'clock and leaves at four o'clock. Time just is suspended for him. 
I wouldn't put him in front of customers. He doesn't like doing that. He's living his dream. So when I can give that to, to an employee, when I can give that outcome to him and he's doing what he loves to do, it comes back to me in doing the things that I love to do. So it's those seeds. It's the seeds that I plant on a daily basis. It's the seeds we all plant on a daily basis to get that harvest back of what we're looking for. So whatever you're looking for, whatever you're, if you want time, plant seeds of time. If you're looking for money, plant seeds of money. Where can you help lighten a load for another human being? You know, it's um, we talk about giving wellness time. Uh, your example is on spot because that gentleman that works in your shop, the day goes by, he's happy. When you're happy, you're healthy. You got mind spirits going. And, and, you know, that comes down to that. We talk about culture and businesses all the time. And you know what? You really need to have a healthy workforce to have a good culture because unhealthy workforces bring on a lot of problems. Carl, I have one a little more time for one question for you. And that's really what what are the opportunities that you share with people to get in good health, to get wellness? What do you see out there? Uh, a couple of things. One is I think uh, in this current climate, there's uh, there are there is an unprecedented focus by employers on employee wellness. It is no more it's it's not under the covers anymore the the lid has been blown in a good way so i think employers are offering more and more benefits that employees need to take advantage of uh, last month i did a presentation with a team to a large uh, insurance company we uh, on the team was uh, one of their in-house attorneys and their benefits person the benefits person unfurled this menu of benefits available to this company's employees. And I, I even commented, I said, boy, I should have gone to work for your company. It was mind boggling yeah. for uh, emotional, physical, and spiritual well-being, all kinds of tools. So they are out there uh, to take advantage of. The other thing too, is I think the pandemic, um, it, it's been a, a, there's a lot of downside to it, but there's some upside. And the upside is a lot of people decided to use it to get back into shape, which is a good thing. But I think it was an eye-opener for the comorbidities. Everybody, uh, the mainstream media and, and others have said, if you have a comorbidity, you are more likely to have issues with uh, COVID. So there are some comorbidities that perhaps are lifestyle-driven, like uh, type 2 diabetes. So I think this has been an eye-opener for somebody to say, hey, you know what? This diabetes puts me into a different category of this COVID, so maybe I can, I can deal with that. So uh, I think the pandemic has been a bit of an eye-opener, um, and there are opportunities out there to uh, counter that. And I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. I ran a five-kilometer road race a month ago, 3.1 miles. The race organizers left the course open for 80 minutes, one hour and 20 minutes. That's roughly 27 minutes per mile. And I say that because I decided to run it, but there were people walking. There were people on rollerblades. There were people pushing strollers. There were people on bikes. There were people walking their dogs, families, 
it was an incredibly inclusive, energetic, healthy environment. And it's open to everybody. It's not a, it, it's not just the, the people that win the New York City Marathon running six minute miles. This was for everyone. 80 minutes. Uh, I'd like to think most folks could walk, run, or a combination of both in 80 minutes. And it's it. These things are out there. We're all getting back into the groove. Uh, things are reopening. Road races are happening, and it doesn't have to be a race. It's really an event. So there are wonderful opportunities out there to do things with uh, your partners, your friends, your family members uh, in a kind of a healthy environment. So it, I find that fitness in these events levels everyone. We're all together and there's no title. There are no airs about it. There's no vowels after your name or, or consonants. Uh, it's just human beings out there having fun all on the same page. All one-on-one, -on -one, meaning yourself and yourself. That's it, right? Yourself. Correct. Um, thank you. I, I have to thank all of you. And I will post in the show notes contact information. So anybody who has a question or want to be con they want to contact you, I'll make that available. And I encourage um, anyone listening and viewing today that if they want to know more information, contact the, the participants here on their subject. But I want to thank you all for showing up, giving us time. This was great. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. It was a good show today. And uh, if you would help us out by subscribing, click a like. Uh, if you have any ideas or thoughts that you would like to share with us, please email me at tperone, that's P-E-R-R-O-N-E, at N-E-C-G-G-I-N-C dot com. And if you are a business owner or you know business owners that would like to participate on our show, certainly let me know. We certainly welcome everyone who is a business owner to help people out there that are running businesses with great ideas and strategies to make them successful. So again, thanks for tuning in. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Whenever you're ready to grow and protect your business while creating more balance in your life, here are three steps you can take. One, subscribe to this podcast. To request a free copy of Tom's newly published book, Unlocking Your Business DNA, email Tom at tperone at necgginc.com. And on the subject line, type DNA. Include your mailing address. And thirdly, take the one-minute scorecard and report to see how efficient you are in your business planning. Email tperone at necgginc.com and request scorecard. For additional information, click the show notes.